0: Well, I want to start off with a crucial theological question this morning. It's a tough one, so you're going to have to make your judgment about this. Who is the most Christian of the Mr. Men? Okay, it is a tough question to ask. I think most of you will know the children's books by Roger Hargreaves, each with a Mr. Man or a Little Miss, defined by a single characteristic, okay? So I want you to make this judgment now this morning. Who are the contenders for the most Christian of the Mr. Men and Little Misses? Well, there could be an argument for it being Mr. Happy. There he is, because of the amount of joy with which he lives his life. Perhaps you'd see Mr. Happy as the most Christian of the Mr. Men. Or perhaps you would instead go for Mr. Brave, because of his moral courage, the fact that faced with a difficult dilemma, he will do the brave thing. Others of you here might be thinking, nah, 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 it's got to be Mr. Perfect because of his exemplary behaviour. Or perhaps Mr. Rush, you might think, because of the amount that he manages to get done. No church could do without him. But perhaps you're sitting there thinking, no, I'd like to go for a little mess and uh, the most Christian award would perhaps go to Little Miss Sunshine. Perhaps that will be your choice. Or maybe you would decide to instead go for Little Miss Wise. Or maybe some of you might even choose Little Miss Sparkle. Worthy contenders all, but my choice for the most Christian of the Mr Men, and I've used this illustration before, would be this one, Mr Topsy-Turvy. That's right, Mr Topsy-Turvy, the one who does everything the wrong way round, upside down or back to front. Now, Mr Topsy-Turvy was actually the first ever Mr Man book that I owned. And uh, while Mr Silly later rivalled him a little bit for my affections, I think Mr Topsy-Turvy was always my favourite. Because of the deep appeal that children have, and quite often adults as well, for doing everything differently, from those around us in the surrounding world. It's not just children that that appeals to, is it? But it wasn't until I was older that I recognised how much made Mr Topsy-Turvy like what the Bible calls the Kingdom of God. What on earth do I mean? Well, when we look at the teaching of Jesus in the New Testament, what we see is that he was constantly turning upside down the assumptions of the surrounding world. A lot of the stuff that was normal in the surrounding world and its values, Jesus was totally turning upside down. The Sermon on the Mount, for instance, is probably the most famous teaching that Jesus ever gave. And it starts right at the beginning with a whole series of topsy-turvy statements called the Beatitudes about who is blessed by God. Just look at these statements that Jesus made. Blessed are the poor, Jesus said in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, unheard of in the culture into which he was speaking. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, the most vulnerable, the most humble in society, for they will inherit the earth. Christ Church, New Malden, Sunday the 9th of October 2022, 9.30 service. Stephen Kurtz speaking on getting the most out of service. And even this last one, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All of these sayings and many more from Jesus show that the kingdom of God, the rule of God, which broke into the world with his coming is completely upside down, completely back to front, completely the wrong way round from the way that most people would see things. And we get another example in that passage that John read to us just a little while ago. That passage where James and John, two of Jesus' disciples, came to him one day and they asked if when he came in glory they could be placed either side of him in key positions. Now they'd obviously sussed enough about Jesus to understand that he was going to bring God's kingdom in glory and their assumptions were that that glory would be rather like the arrival of other victorious kingdoms at the time. But Jesus replied and you heard these words earlier by saying that those brothers didn't know what they were asking because undergoing suffering and becoming a servant was going to become intrinsic or be intrinsic to that glory, both for Jesus and for his followers. And when the other disciples heard what James and John had done, they were really annoyed, probably, because they uh, wanted exactly the same thing. And so Jesus calls all of his disciples together, and he tells them these utterly topsy-turvy words. This is what Jesus says to all of his disciples. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. There are loads of things that are topsy-turvy about the kingdom of God. But perhaps the greatest is the way that God's transforming power works through loving service. When Jesus broke the power of sin and evil over this world and over our lives, it wasn't through an act of might, was it? it was through the utterly topsy-turvy means of Jesus coming as a servant king. A king who washed his disciples' feet. A king who ultimately gave his life to buy back those imprisoned by sin. And in that story of the request of James and John, Jesus was telling his disciples and telling us that that pattern Of loving and sacrificial service, it continues to be the way in which his kingdom continues to come through his followers. And Jesus says something very similar a couple of chapters earlier. This was the other passage that we had read this morning, when he says these challenging words. If anyone, he says, would come after me, he or she must deny him or herself and take up their cross. And follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and the gospel, the good news, will save it. Giving up our life, that passage goes on to say in the words that follow, is both the way that we show that we belong to Jesus, that we're not ashamed to belong to him, and it's the path to gaining the life that he promises. All totally topsy turvy. Particularly living in our culture with all of its constant messages about the things that we need to gain, the power that we need to achieve if we're going to gain life in all its fullness. This is totally countercultural stuff. And yet, when we experience it, we see that it does make sense. It makes complete sense. So, here is a picture of Grapevine, our monthly lunch club which meets here on the first Sunday of the month. Those who come as guests to Grapevine, what do they get? They get a great lunch prepared by a different cook each month. We have a game between the courses, and then there's the availability of prayer time afterwards here in church. And as many as 15 of them come in for prayer in church, and we sit in a circle at the back. Grapevine is no sort of hard sell on Christianity. It's deliberately designed to be the very opposite. But great fun is nonetheless all done in the name of the Jesus Christ who God sent for everyone. It's hard work for those who come and work in the kitchen. There's tables to be laid, there's people to be welcomed, there's food to be served, there's pans to be scrubbed, and so on. But every single one of our Grapevine Helpers, and there's a number in church here this morning, would say, I think, that hard work though it is, they absolutely love it. And I think they go further than that and say they are deeply blessed by their service at Grapevine. Deeply blessed by God. There's something transforming about the atmosphere, not just for the guests, but for all those who come to Grapevine in order to serve. Now that's rather counterintuitive, isn't it? Why does this happen when those who serve at Grapevine, and it's just one example, I could give plenty of others, those people who come and serve at Grapevine could be putting their feet up at home, they could be sitting out in their garden if it's summer, they could be doing something for themselves. Why are they being blessed through service? Well, the Christian answer and I think it's the only answer that makes any sense, is that those helpers in that team are experiencing precisely what Jesus talks about in this passage. The utterly topsy-turvy truth that when we choose to give our lives away for Jesus and the good news, even if it is just for that part of Sunday afternoon, we gain back those lives in abundance. It's when we're serving that we experience life to the full. We lose our lives or part of it, we give up that part of our life for that particular part of that time, but in the process, we receive it back again. We gain life through that process. Life in all its fullness. But of course, the opposite is true as well. If we refuse to ever give our lives away, If we make our lives all about what we can receive, rather than what we can give, then we receive the opposite of life as a result. We become a shadow of what it's meant to be, to be a human being. The more that people live their lives dominated by selfishness, the less fully human they become. They're losing in the process that very life that they're so desperate. To hang on to. And that is why service lies at the heart of the Christian faith. So why we call these gatherings here on a Sunday in this building a service. Human beings, according to the Bible, were created in God's image to reflect what God is like through their loving rule of the earth. We were given that responsibility. And of course, it went badly wrong, didn't it, with those same human beings badly messing up causing all of the problems that we have in this world. That's what that famous story in Genesis 3 about the fruit in the garden is all about. But God didn't just send Jesus so that sinful human beings could be forgiven by his death. Of course, that was crucial. But it had a purpose beyond that. God sent Jesus so that having been forgiven, we could then have that vocation restored of becoming God's faithful servants, serving his world and the people within it on his behalf. And that's where the crucial things that follow Jesus' death, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, and particularly the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, that's where all those vital things come in, to make it possible for us to serve God and to be equipped with his power, the Holy Spirit, to be able to do that. Now, there are plenty of important ways that Christians are called to serve God by serving others. Those of you who are parents or grandparents will know what a costly but ultimately rewarding calling to service that is. The same applies to those of you in work of whatever kind, whether paid or voluntary. So there are plenty of ways in which we're called to serve God outside of the activities of this church and those things are absolutely vital. I don't want want what I say now to relativise them in any way. But alongside those crucial parts of Christian service, another part is your service as a member of this church. I get paid to be vicar of this parish, perhaps you didn't know that but I do, I get paid handsomely. And, of course, we employ David... Our care- I was being ironic then, by the way, but it's OK. It's not bad. We, Just in case you go away and think, God, oh, realise he earns a fortune. But we also employ David as our caretaker, Elizabeth and Anna as administrators in the office, and Nathan as our children's and youth minister, and they all do an absolutely fantastic job. But this church is only what it is because of the numerous more people who give up their time and their energy voluntarily, without pay in order to serve. And when a church is functioning as it should be, every single member of that church is, in one way or another, involved in service. Not only contributing to the building up of that church, but as I say, being richly blessed in the process, being richly blessed through their service by experiencing this topsy-turvy Christian truth that it's when we learn to live, to give our lives away for Jesus and the good news that we receive back those lives with interest. And that's why we've given you this sheet of paper. Now, you should have this. You should have been given it by the faithful Chris who is great at handing stuff out as you came in, and you should have a pen as well. Hopefully you do. If anyone doesn't, just wave, and perhaps Chris will come and find you with this sheet of paper and a pen. And on it are a whole series of ways in which you can potentially serve at this church. Now, it's crucial to say that plenty of you already do. You're already doing things on this list. But the idea of this morning is that this provides an opportunity for all of us who are regular and committed members here to think a little bit more about how you're willing to serve. We need more people in all of those areas. And uh, in a number of them, I've got to be frank and say at the moment, we've got a very small amount of people doing rather unfair amounts of work. There is the danger that we're calling on the same people uh, rather too much. So there are pens around, borrows, and can I encourage you to spend a few moments now looking down this list and placing a few ticks in areas where you might possibly be able to serve. And if you're new this Sunday, don't worry, you can just daydream for a few minutes or look down the list and enjoy the safari-type design of it. But if you regard yourself as a committed member of Christchurch, you might want to look down the list and place a few ticks by areas where, as I say, you might possibly be willing to serve. You won't be clobbered to do more than is fair, but you'll simply be asked to play your part in sharing some of the load alongside those who already take on those responsibilities. Sometimes said that churches are places where 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work. Now, where that does happen, it's wrong, and it's unfair, isn't it? And also, it is limiting those blessings that God wants to give us. Because God wants all of his people to serve. And by the power of God's Holy Spirit, he also gives all of them gifts precisely in order to do so. And that's why, as well as specific tasks being listed here, we've got another section which says other gifts. Because it might be that when you think about it, you possess some specific skill or experience that could be deployed in service to this church in some completely different area to those listed. It might be you're absolutely brilliant at mime or, I don't know, expressive dance or something like that. You never know. So I want everyone now to spend a little bit of time looking at this sheet. And you can be saying a little prayer as you look down the list asking perhaps that God would open your eyes to some of the things that you might sort of, uh, you know, not immediately think are you. And if you're already doing plenty of stuff on that list, please do tick those boxes, because hopefully that will bring home to you how much you're already serving God and how delighted he is about that. And uh, when, you, uh, when you hand it in at the end, obviously in some people's cases, they'll have ticked boxes where they're already serving, and that is quite enough. But as I say, hopefully this sheet might bring home to you how much God is using you for his service. So we're going to have a few minutes now uh, to do that. So take the sheet, take the pen, be looking down the list. And, uh, and it might be, for instance, if there is a, a physical reason why you're particularly not able to do much that's active, that you think, well, one of the things I could do is, is prayer uh, for the stuff that's going on. We have some of the older people at our 11 o'clock service who commit to praying for climbers every week. Uh, fives to sevens group or they commit to playing for explorers so it may be uh, that that applies to uh, to some here so just spend a few moments looking at that list and ticking a few boxes well thanks for doing that and uh, you can continue uh, doing that as I continue speaking um, and if, as you leave this morning, you can leave them on those benches by the doors where you came in. Uh, they'll be collected in, and I'll go through them, and, and I'll be in contact. And as I say, it won't be in order to clobber people with more than is fair. We've got a lot of our areas being fairly well resourced at the moment, with significant gaps. And those posters, actually, if you just look where you come in, those posters, when we put stuff on the wall, it can, in the end, blur into the background but those posters uh, that are entitled Where Can I Serve might also help you as well, and they've got contact details there. And I ought to say at this point, I won't go through everything on that list, but I ought to say that those volunteering to help on the audiovisual desk, we've got Helen, we've got Lynn, and we've got James on there this morning, um, we do very much need more people to be willing uh, to do that, particularly as the cooks go to America for the next uh, few weeks. Uh, I think we're just about covered, but it's always good to have more people And if you volunteer to help with the AV system, uh, people can be a bit potentially intimidated by that. But we've deliberately gone over to a system which is much, much simpler. And if you are, for instance, used to using a computer at work or at home and using it in the most basic way, you're more than capable of operating uh, the one that we use in services. So there's the sound system, which James is on this morning, Helen's on the computer, Lynn is on cameras, and uh, it would be great to have more people come forward to help with that. But of course, that's true in the other areas as well. We've got stacks of people doing uh, refreshments, but we still need more people because, like this morning, one of the people who was helping Angela was unwell. Uh, Hugh stepped in at the last minute to help Angela this morning, which is great. Um, Gardening, we've had a few people move away from Christchurch, and we need more people to step in, and so on. And of course, welcoming is a crucial part, which I hope people appreciate the value of. Uh, here at Christchurch. But do you remember that also bit about other gifts? In the past, when we've had this approach, I've always wanted to think, well, we mustn't be so much driven by the needs, we must look at the gifts at Christchurch and then see the way that we use them. Um, But actually, of course, there are practical needs that need to be covered in church. But we never want to get away from the fact that God gifts every single one of his followers with special and unique gifts, sometimes which people don't think are particularly deployable in church life but always are. So if you possess some amazing hidden skill, do put it down here, because there is some way that it can uh, play its role in the building up of this church. One of the things to be proudest about in belonging to Christchurch is actually the long history, stretching back now over 150 years, of service to this church by so many people. We are building so much on the service of those who've gone before. And not just clergy, although my nine predecessors I'm full of admiration for, but the thousands of lay members of this church who have built it up through their service. So much of what we take for granted, the reason we've got such terrific buildings, that fantastic kitchen out there that we use again and again, the wonderful uh, buildings we've got here that we use for our children, It's because there's been not just sacrificial financial giving, but such a long history of service to this church. People who again and again, through the Victorian age, the Edwardian age, and every age that has followed in the history of this church, have given themselves to service. That's why this community is what it is. If you look over to the south wall, in the middle of that south wall there, you'll see a memorial. And that's to the first vicar of this church, Charles Stirling. And it says there, in loving memory of him, it says his dates, it says by whose labors this church, vicarage, and the schools were erected and who ministered faithfully to the flock committed to his care. But then if you look one further memorial along, the window that is just to the left-hand side, that is to a woman whose name was Elizabeth Catherine Bunn. And she lived between 1882 and 1964, And she ran the Sunday school that met at 3 o'clock on a Sunday afternoon, just beyond that south wall, out where the grass is now, in that tin building that was known as the Tin Dab. She ran the Sunday school there between 1909 and 1955. An amazing 46 years. You won't be clobbered to do jobs for 46 years, I promise you. But with 100 children plus coming each week, Think how many young lives Mrs Bunn influenced during those years. Loads. And she probably didn't see the impact of a lot of that as those children grew up and outlived her by years and years. But if asked if we had Mrs Bunn here now, and I'm sure this goes for countless others without memorials in this church, Mrs Bunn would have said, that she was the one who was most blessed by that service. As she came along week by week and was out there with all of these children from the neighbourhood coming in and she was faithfully teaching them about Jesus and his great love for them, those children would have been blessed and she would have been enormously blessed through that service as well. And it's great that we've got that window in her memory. And that's the truth that lies at the heart of Christianity, the good news of Christianity. Jesus, the servant king, sets us free from sin and evil, not just so that we can relax and put our feet up and enjoy that status, but so that we can be set free to take up that vocation that God gave us in creation of being called to serve him. To serve him by building up his church for the ministry and the mission to which he calls us. And crucially, as I've tried to emphasise this morning, the topsy-turvy truth of Christianity is that it's through our service to God that he most blesses us. Because we're then living out this gospel truth that it's in losing our lives for Jesus and the good news that we gain back those lives with all the abundance of blessing that God intends us to gain through that call to service. This series is called Getting the Most Out of Church. That's been subject of our talks for a while now, and we'll finish it in the next few weeks. But there is no better way to get the most out of church than through our service.